Hill Street Blues won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to the Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, Ed. Oh, Ed. <laughs> Uh, I, this movie is, uh, we were discussing right before we started, <laughs> voice went way up not, <laughs> not a great movie, uh, it's, it's just one of those movies that, because when it came out, I was like nine or ten, yeah, and then it was on cable TV, like Skinamax, Skinamax <laughs> and Showtime and stuff, which we both had, Cinemax and Showtime, it was just on all the time. Sure, no, it's not, it's definitely not a bad movie. It's kind of like, uh, for me, it's kind of like, uh, I was going to say Point Break. That's not <laughs> the name of the movie. Uh, the uh, um, That John Cusack movie, uh, Hot Pursuit. Oh, Hot Pursuit, yeah. Where it's like, ah, I enjoy it, and I there's things that I definitely enjoyed more about it right. now than when I was younger. Right. Because I haven't seen it in a really long time. And like we were saying... There's some really funny bits. There's some really funny performances. Yeah. And you really get to see uh, – look, there's some great shots and some great direction <laughs> from DeVito. not the most terribly well-written movie. No. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, we Of the three movies we're covering this month, the Hitchcockian comedy, this one definitely hits – that nail on the head as hard as possible that literally a character goes and just watches a Hitchcock movie yes. and then it derives the entire plot from This that. is the most – Blatantly Hitchcockian <laughs> comedy, the least subtle yes, of yes. the trio. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, take yourself back, 1987, January 4th, an Amtrak train en route from Washington D.C. to Boston collides with Conrail engines at Chase, Maryland, the United States, killing 16 people. Good lord. Yeah. October 19th, two commuter trains collide head-on on the outskirts of Jakarta, Indonesia. 102 are killed. Ooh, getting better, huh? Yeah. November 1st, the Intercity 125 breaks the world speed record for a diesel-powered train reaching 147.88 miles per hour. Mm, how many people died? Uh, nobody. No. It just went real fast. All right. <laughs> December 11th, Throw Mama from the Train is released in theaters. So funny that it's called Throw Mama from the Train since that is literally like 18 seconds of the movie. Yeah. It was the the culmination was <laughs> threw her from the train. Down yet should have been called I dismember Mama. And technically, nobody was actually trying to throw her from the train. No, they were trying to keep her from falling from the train. It should have been called Throw Larry from the train. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so Throw Mom from the train was written by Stu Silver. Stu. Yeah. Well, Silver got his break writing for Soap, the TV sitcom Soap. Great show. Yeah, it was a sitcom. Yeah, definitely. It was, look, it was great. And it was, Billy Crystal was on it. I think this is probably where they got to know each other. But it was groundbreaking because Billy Crystal played the first openly gay character on television. And that was such a risk. You don't, people don't realize what a career killer it was for any actor to play a gay character. Ask Harry Hamlin. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wasn't Harry Hamlin? I don't know. Uh, see, <laughs> I guess I'll I ask know, Harry Hamlin. Who knows? Because no, but it, it was it yeah. was it was an absolute career killer, and he was a hot young comedian at the time. Yeah, but he imbued that character with such soul and grace and right. uh, humanity that people, you know, liked him and liked right. it. Right. I think they did a lot of the times, and this is what they did a lot with like likable gay characters. They always flirted around with them being able to. Quote, he quotes, not be gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they did that with I think they yeah. might have done that with him. Maybe because it was could, a soap. They could be straight. They're just so charming. It doesn't matter. Right. But because it, and this, I could totally be Mandela-ing <laughs> this up the wazoo. <laughs> but because it was a soap parody yeah. on, on well, soap yeah, operas, yeah. I think that there was something where he was like hitting the head and made straight for a while well, or something. I don't know. I could be wrong. Please let me know. Uh, well, I, I've literally never seen a single second of soap, so I, at some point, I, I know, I know, we're going to cover it eventually. Uh, Stu Silver would write 55 episodes of the sitcom. Uh, in 1980, Silver co-created It's a Living, a sitcom about a restaurant at the top of the Bonaventure Hotel in Los Angeles. Yeah, what a weird show. And what a, yeah. like, didn't it, it got like, renewed 
It uh, yeah, it ran for two seasons and then it came back in 1985 for four more seasons. So weird. After they started doing reruns and then it got renewed for syndication. Because it, it, in that time, people fell in love with opulence. Yeah, I guess. You know, it was the I 80s, mean, baby. It was the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. had enough cocaine. <laughs> To enjoy that show. <laughs> in 1983, Silver created the sitcom Webster, starring Alex Karras, Susan Clark, and Emmanuel Lewis. Hey, ma'am. Hey, ma'am. He didn't call her mom. He called her ma'am. And when he finally yeah. called her mom, we all cried a little bit. Yeah. That was actually did the same thing. It ran for like four seasons, I think. And then event- the last like three seasons were in syndication. Yeah. That was the time... When we fetishized uh, tiny little black boys that yeah. were adopted by yeah. white people. It was weird. There was Emmanuel Lewis and Gary Coleman. I, I went down a weird Webster rabbit hole, man. <laughs> well, what was so weird, too, is these poor kids, both Emmanuel Lewis and Gary Coleman, both had serious health issues that yes. kept them yes. small. small. Yeah, yeah. You know, Gary Coleman was a little guy for his whole life. He was, yeah. he was you know, because I, of the liver issues. A little angry guy. A little angry man. <laughs> A little, a sweet yeah. little boy but to an angry but, little man. But get it, it I get yes, it. And same the, thing it, with Emmanuel yeah. Lewis. He yeah. he was kind of a little kid for a way longer. Right, right. You know, they had whatever. And it was just bizarre. These poor guys had to keep being these little boys. Yeah, yeah. Even when they were, like, going through puberty and yeah. whatever. It was like they were trying to infantilize them still and make them. It was weird. It was really gross. Yeah, that's why eventually he ended it. They both actually, to be honest, this is the irony, is that they both, by the time they stopped growing, yeah. they were about Danny DeVito's height. Yeah. Uh, like, even though he doesn't have the same health issues, right. he's just small. Danny DeVito's but just yeah. a short man. Yeah. He, yeah. He's, you know, he d- doesn't, I don't believe, suffer from dwarfism or no, any sort no. of those he's things. Just he's just a short, short guy. Yeah. And, uh. And I think Emmanuel Lewis is kind of a short guy. I don't think he had as many. Maybe he did. I don't know. You went through the rabbit I, hole. He, yes and no. Like, he didn't really. It didn't affect him as much as Gary Coleman did. But Gary Coleman's but, whole life was misery, man. Yeah, with the, yeah. With his liver issues. He had, what, two or three I, liver transplants? Yeah. I think Emmanuel Lewis was more was more just uh, small. But, uh, but man, I, the finale, I've never seen the finale of Webster. Have you ever seen the finale of Webster? Probably. Total speed bump. Yeah, he ends up on the USS Enterprise. And hangs out with Lieutenant Worf. It is the weirdest. It's literally called like Web Trek or something. It is the weirdest ending to a show I've ever heard of. I did not see this apparently. It was so weird. I have to see this It was this so now. weird. Like that was his thing is that he was like, I'm going to go off to college. And then he ends up somehow on the Enterprise and is like hanging out in space. There seems to be a I lot of timeline issues with that, Adam. I know. And a lot obviously. of canonical, canonical issues yeah. too as well as Star Trek and the Webster universe. Yeah. <laughs> It was weird, anyway. That is super weird, by the I, I, way. Yeah, at some point we'll have to, we'll, we'll talk we about do weird, a crazy weird finales. Endings. Yeah, because uh, Alf, Alf is the same way. Hey, I like dude cats. It, it never ended. It just was, it just it ended on a cliffhanger, and that was it. Alf, Alf We're was still living in the Alf <laughs> hell that was created in the 80s. <laughs> hey, I'm from Melbourne. <laughs> I like eating cats. Oh. <laughs> so going back to Stu Silver. Yes, back to the show. Uh, <laughs> throw a bubble from the train. Uh, he made a foray into features when he was asked to write Good Morning Vietnam. Good uh, morning, Vietnam! Uh, they ended up using the first half of his script for the movie, although he received no writing credit for it. Ooh. Yeah, I had to do some really deep dive onto this because like I couldn't find it was it's listed everywhere that he wrote the first half of Good Morning Vietnam and there's one actual published reference from really? a producer so I don't it's still kind of like maybe Keeping he did it quiet he got zero credit for it but yeah. but the WGA is weird that way so is Vietnam uh, it was also Good Morning Vietnam was released a month after Throw Mama from the Train came out it was it actually premiered December 18th of 87 and then came out in January of 88. Nice. Starring Bru- uh, Bruce Kirby's son, Bruno Kirby. Yes. Remember he Robin was Williams. A, yeah. yeah. I would say more starring Robin Williams. <laughs> well, yes, but Gr- Bruno <laughs> Kirby was the grump. Right. Right. He always yeah, was. Yeah. The resident grump, Bruno <laughs> Kirby. In 1990, Silver created Good Grief about straight-laced Warren, his sister Debbie, her flamboyant husband Ernie, and their transvestite assistant Raul, who run a funeral home. The most bizarre adaptation of Charlie Brown and the Peanuts ever made. <laughs> Good Grief, Adam. <laughs> Start Howie Mandel, Jill Brooks, and Wendy Shaw. Wendy Shaw played Snoopy. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the project had been turned down by every network and cable channel since 1983. 
Wow, they were pushing that for a long time. Seriously, just try it. Uh, until Fox picked it up and it ran for 13 episodes before being canned. I, I seriously think they just did it to be like, stop contacting us <laughs> well, about good grief. Fox was the garbage dump of TV they back had, then. They needed anything. They just anything. put, it, put whatever yeah. on. You, look at some of the f- stuff that started out the Fox Network, man. Ooh, baby. Wait, you mean we got to fill four hours <laughs> every day? What? Yeah, can't we yeah. just have them married with children eight times? Yeah, well, eventually, eventually they did. <laughs> that, was, that was it. Uh, so Silver didn't do much after that, and uh, apparently he died from complications of prostate cancer in Rochester, New York, on July 18th, 2023, at the age of 76. Oh. Just a few months ago. That's yeah. sad. That's yeah. super sad. It's super sad he didn't get to do other stuff. No, I d- his career just kind of fizzled. I, it's sad. It makes me sad. But look, I mean, he put uh, put himself on the map, man. I mean, you can so- literally, if you if you Google throw Mama from the Train... The first thing that pops up is that it's literally showing like 18 times today somewhere wow. on TV. Stoo! <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's not an expensive uh, <laughs> no, property no. to put on your streaming service. No. Uh, so Larry Brezhner, who picked up, he had picked up the script and worked with Ryan Pictures to get the movie made to get Throw Mama from the Train made. Uh, Brezhner made a splash by producing Arthur, starring Dudley Moore in 1981. <laughs> It was a, a surprise box office smash, uh, which, by the way, a few days ago, randomly, the theme song was stuck in my head while I showered. No idea why. Because I just sang kept it. singing it to myself. Because I sang it on the sh- on the last. I show. don't even know if I've seen Arthur. I don't think I have. Really? I don't think I have. Have you seen the amazing remake with Nancy uh, no. McGee? R- uh, R- not Russell. Russell, Russell Brand. Russell yeah. Brand. Yeah. I was in Russell Crowe. <laughs> that would have been much better. <laughs> bunch, a bunch of people getting hit by phones. Oh, yeah. it was so awful. Uh, so no, awful I will not watch anything Russell Brand does. I... Not just because of his. Uh, his questionable uh, grossness. I find him to be very unfunny. He's uh, unpleasant. He yeah. is such... In the uh, dictionary, next to the word um, condescending... Smarmy. Yeah. And smarmy. <laughs> smarmascending, I think. is Smarmascending. That is literally... To describe that gross man. This old smarmascending. But at least he's not into conspiracy theories and gross yeah. stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Brezhner would later go on to produce such hits as Good Morning Vietnam, The Burbs, The Vanishing, and most notably, Clifford in 1994. Oh, I love Clifford. I not about the dog yet. I'm not the red dog. We're talking no, about the, the Martin uh, Short, Charles Grodin movie. Yes. <laughs> Martin Short playing. Can you a, act like a normal boy? <laughs> Can you just act like a normal boy? I love that movie so much. Yes. Uh, the script featured the movie Strangers on a Train, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, as we said earlier, which was owned by Warner Brothers. Ooh. Uh, Warner Brothers was very reluctant to give the rights to use Strangers on a Train to the producers of Throw Mama from the Train. Why? Look, money? Well, yeah, well, they realized, I mean, yes, I, I think they were using it as leverage. Uh, they realized that Orion still owned the rights to Arthur from 1981, so they traded the 1951 Alfred Hitchcock classic to make an Arthur sequel. They literally said, you can use these rights for the movie, but we get all of the rights for Arthur back. Great. I guess uh, nobody got a good deal then. Uh, no, Arthur 2 on the Rocks <laughs> in 1988 turned out to be a complete disaster at the box office. If there was any movie, it did not need a sequel at all. It was a perfect little encapsulation. Yeah. It was Arthur. Nobody needed to see no. What happens? This is the thing, guys. When you make a movie with a happy ending, to yeah. make a sequel, you got to blow up the happy ending and then just make a piece of crap. It's like the, the buddy cop sequel problem yes. where you're like, oh, we got to figure out a way to make them not to hate yes. each other again. It's like, Every mm-hmm. buddy cop movie except for Lethal Weapon falls into that trend. Right, right. How do we make them not friends again? Uh, the irony is that Throw Mama from the Train was the 13th most successful movie of 1987. Ooh, lucky 13. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously it didn't do terribly well, but it did well enough. Definitely better than Arthur 2 on The Rock. Yes, which I honestly thought came out. It's really weird because like, I'm watching Moonlighting now. Yeah. And it's weird to think like, Magnum was on at the same time. You know, it's yeah, like certain yeah. things, it, it just seems weird that they crisscross, Adam. Crisscross. <laughs> so Danny DeVito was tapped to direct. Uh, despite being mostly known as an actor, DeVito had a long history of directing. Oh, yeah. He did two short films in 1973 and 1975. He directed three episodes of Taxi between 82 and 83. And he had two short films in 1983 used in the HBO Cinemax anthology show Likely Stories. Do you, Likely remember, do you remember Likely Stories? Vaguely. 
Yeah, I tried. It's funny because it's not really available anywhere because it looked really interesting. Yeah. Like, it's just a series of shorts, you know, 30-minute shorts. I'm sure if it was on HBO at a certain time, I watched it. Probably. Because I watched everything on HBO. In 1984, he directed the ratings game, the first original movie financed by Showtime. I remember this, actually. Uh, it starred DeVito and his wife, Rhea Perlman, and featured Hunts Hall, Michael Richards, George Went, and Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, yes, a very young Jerry Seinfeld. It was, yeah. uh, it was like about a TV station and yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was like, a, I think he was an executive or... Yeah, that it's... Yeah. I vaguely, I do remember the movie. I know I've seen it. it yeah. made an incredible impression upon me. <laughs> Uh, DeVito directed two episodes of Mary in 1985, uh, starring Mary Tyler Moore. It was another one of her sitcoms. I did not remember that. Did not do quite as well. No. <laughs> well, you can't. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore's show is iconic. I know. It's I one know. of the big, greatest sitcoms ever. It's just, it's poor. It, Mary Tyler Moore, Lucille Ball, a lot of these actors yeah. just couldn't recapture you, well, the I magic. mean, what do you do? Yeah. You're never going to have I Love Lucy again. You're no. never going to have the Mary Tyler Moore no. show again. No. They broke ground and were amazing. Uh, and DeVito d- directed one episode of Amazing Stories in 1986. Nah, I remember that. That was the Steven Spielberg that, anthology series. That was. Uh, so DeVito originally wanted to play Larry Donner, the part that Billy Crystal played, but opted to take the role of Owen instead. Well, it would have been interesting because it's it's very... Not typecast, but I, it seems... But I could, I could totally see him doing it. What I'm saying is yeah. it would have been more interesting to see him play that it, part. Yes. It because would have been, yeah. He could do Owen in his sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not... It's it, not a big stretch. Well, that's <laughs> not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it, he's a very funny guy, and yeah. he's a funny-looking guy. Yeah, and, and he plays the kind of creepy, weird... Uh, but but sweet well. He plays off his physicality really yeah. well. Yes. And he knows yes. how to use it to the benefit of his characters. And I just think it's you know, it's like it's 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 seeing Bruce Willis playing the hero or it's right. seeing right. It's, it's just, the rock it's, just a, it's a standard, yeah. Exactly. I would it would have been a little more interesting to me to see him playing right. the straight part rather than Yeah, I agree. I agree. I would have liked to have seen that version of the movie. I, I think it'd be interesting. But he was so good as he gave he Owen so much heart. He should have just played both characters. He should have. <laughs> Twins. Crisscross. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, a bunch of actors were considered for the role of Owen, such as Robin Williams, Joe Pesci, Dudley Moore, John Candy, Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, John Goodman, Michael Keaton, and John Lithgow. I'm curious. See, I think it would have been great if it were he and Michael Douglas. Because A, they were best friends, and B... God, that would have been... It would have been such a better movie. Would have been weird. Yeah, but that it would have been, been such a better weird. movie. Because if, it would have been more serious, I think. If Michael Douglas was playing Owen? And no, then, no. Well, that would have been amazing. But I'm thinking him as Larry, oh. and then, you know, as Owen. Like, because, yeah, yeah. I could see, yeah, I could see that. Because Michael Douglas is such a good actor, and he's also stealthily amazing at comedy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And whenever the two of them, whether it was War of the Roses or whether it was uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right, right. whenever they worked together, either before, behind or in front of the cameras, yeah. they were always gold. And War of the Roses is yeah, DeVito's br- master. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brilliant movie. Brilliant movie. Uh, DeVito was in three movies in 1986, uh, right before Throw Mama from the Train. He was in Wise Guys, starring Joe Piscopo, directed by Brian De Palma. Was that a comedy? I don't think so. I mean, yes. I think it was like a dark comedy, like a black comedy. But I, I don't remember. I just know. I don't. I've never seen it. At this point, Joe Piscopo was interminable. <laughs> he had gotten That's his true. muscles. That's true. And he just the steroids had kicked in. Yeah. And and it uh, just eviscerated anything funny in that man. He was so hilarious. I think this was around the time that Johnny Dangerously came out, right? I think it was like 86, 87. Like 85, 80. I, think, I, think. I thought it was a little... Oh, anyway. Dana DeVito was also in Ruthless People, directed by David Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Jerry Zucker, the guys who did Airplane, also starring Bette Midler, Judge Reinhold, Anita Morris, and Helen Slater. So funny. So And it was funny. Bill Pullman's feature debut. So good. And he and... Bette Midler or gold, gold together. <laughs> gold, gold, gold. I honestly, I want to say I know I've seen this, but I don't remember any of it. Oh, it's so good. And, I love the Zucker Brothers. Oh, and it's great. And it isn't just, you know, the Zucker Brothers being airplane and that right, kind of goof. Right. It was more serious. But Judge Reinhold is absolutely hilarious in it. Bill Pullman, it's one of his funny. 
People yeah. forget how funny Bill Pullman can be. I know. I know. You know, because he wasn't that funny in Spaceballs. He was kind of the straight guy in that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was funny, but he wasn't funny, funny. But he plays such a dope in this. He plays <laughs> like a wannabe Miami Vice kind of guy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. it's just. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite Bill Pullman comedic performance is in uh, Independence Day. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, Dan DeVito was also in My Little Pony, the movie, doing the voice of the Grundle King. Did they know? Did they know what Grundle meant? Uh, in 1986, probably not. I mean, I know that Grundle was a word back then. I mean, we still sure. use Grundle as the right, space we'll, between. We'll a, throw it out there. If you knew, if you think you knew what Grundle was in 1986, email us. I mean, I'm sure it was like a take on Grendel. Yeah. It was the, the My Little Pony writers were very liter, literary, and yeah. they, they mostly pulled from classics. They did. They really did. But, uh, yeah, Grendel, between your butt <laughs> and your balls, right? That's not what I called. I mean, I it's didn't taint, call it that. Grendel. I called it a taint. I didn't call it a Grendel. Uh, no man's land. Grendel, I think in our world, Grendel was something more to do with poop. I, yeah. I, yeah, anyway. Uh, in 1987, he was also in Tin Men, written and directed by Barry Levinson, starring Richard Dreyfuss and Barbara Hershey. Richard Dreyfuss. Uh, yeah, part of Barry Levinson's uh, his, his trilogy. Balmer his ba- trilogy? Balmer trilogy. Yeah. Balmer. Yeah. Such a great movie. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss. I think he sleeps with Danny DeVito's wife, and so Danny oh. DeVito tries to sleep with his wife. And it's just, and they, they play salesmen. They sell aluminum uh, signings for houses. Yeah, yeah. But it. it Again, it's just such a great salesman movie. Much like Glengarry Glenn Ross, you see the, that, that hilarious movie, Glengarry oh, Glenn Ross. Ross. <laughs> um, but it's it has that same vibe of the sleazy salesman. Yeah, and which it's a yeah. whole yeah, 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 part of life that doesn't exist anymore. The door to door salesman. No, 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 no. You used to get them all the time. Vacuums, Bibles, and well, yeah. I mean, look at Billy Barty was a Bible salesman Ooh. in Foul Play. Guess mm. who showed up on Moonlighting last night? No, Billy Barty. Mm, Billy Barty. Mm. Uh, <laughs> DeVito noted in an interview with Playboy magazine that the scene where Owen shows his coin collection to Larry was inspired by his childhood habit of sharing things with friends that involved whatever he was into at the time. It was so perfect. It was just so, like, if you've ever hung out with somebody who's a little bit, uh, not antisocial, but who's a little bit socially awkward. Yeah, yeah, awkward. Yeah. Or if you've ever yourself been socially awkward. I did identify with this. Uh, it was just, it's perfect. I mean, he played Owen so... Sweetly, he didn't play him as an idiot. He didn't no, play him as a no, dope. No, no. He played him as a real character who had been abused and sheltered by his mother. Yeah. That was who a, loved the, his father and his father. It, it, the best writing in the movie was uh, Owen and how his mother was just so overbearing and so oppressive. And then could just does and, what every abuser does. It's like, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I, I, I'll give you five seconds of love yeah. and then the rest of the day I'm going to be an asshole. Right. Yeah. But it's just, he was so, it's such a layered character. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Uh, so as the director, he insisted on including the coin sequence in the movie, and still, Stu Silver wrote the scene. Great scene. Uh, DeVito has three movies coming out in 2023. Haunted, good. Haunted Mansion, which is now available on Disney+, Plus, which, which we've watched. surprisingly really good. It was very good. I really much enjoyed it. It is uh, probably the best Movie based on a ride that I've seen. Uh, for another movie that's probably not as good, Pool Man, directed, produced, co-written by, and starring Chris Pine in his directorial debut. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> oh, wow. Chris Pine. I really thought you would give that one some, <laughs> some flack. Hey, I don't have anything against Chris Pine. Okay, that's true. I like Chris Pine. He seems like a decent guy. And his dad was the was on Chips, so uh, I gotta always love him. Unfortunately, it premiered the Toronto International Film Festival to savage reviews. Hey, no, only... Oh, I got you. Only way to go is up now, baby. Chris Pine. I'm, I'm curious to see it because I like Chris Pine. Well, good. Look, hey, everybody, you got to get it out of your system. Uh, continuing his voiceover work, he, Danny DeVito, is also going to be in Migration, an animated film about ducks written by Mike White with DeVito voicing Uncle Dan. Now, I love Mike White. That is why I included it, because I want to see an animated duck movie written by Mike White. I do, too. I never knew I wanted that in my life until now. Uh, And, of course, he can still be seen, and it's always Sunday in Philadelphia, which is still airing and apparently is going to air forever. Yeah. Uh, He's been in 155 episodes of the show, and he didn't come in until, like, the fifth season. That's so crazy. It just blows my mind. But, yeah, he's... He... he loves those guys so much. He loves working with them. I have not seen the last couple seasons. I need to catch up. You know, I've, I think I've only seen one season of that. Maybe oh two. Oh, my God. You should tell it. So, I do. I don't know it's what. It's very much in the vein of Throw Mama from the Train. Yes. I don't know what it is. I think 
it came out at a time of my insecurity and the fact that they made it all happen on their own. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. But I think I can get over that now. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. Uh, so Billy Crystal was cast as Larry Donner. Uh, Tom Hanks was originally offered the part, but he'd already committed to Big. Good. I mean, he would have been great, but uh, Big big's big better. Big was a much better movie. <laughs> yeah, was... big, big better movie. Big 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 better. Movie. Uh, Billy Crystal's father was a jazz mu- musician and executive at Commodore Records when Crystal was young. This led to some jazz greats hanging out at their Bronx home, like Billy Holiday. Oh. Uh, the record company would dissolve in 1963, leading to Crystal's father having a heart attack and dying at the age of 54 when Crystal was 15. Oh. Yeah. It's tough, man. Tough when your dad dies. Yeah. Crystal received a baseball scholarship to play for Marshall University in West Virginia. But the school suspended the baseball program before the season started in his freshman year. Whomp, whomp. Yeah, what a bummer. That just sucks. He looks like a baseball player, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he opted to discontinue his education there, went back to New York, where he eventually studied film and television di- directing at NYU, with Martin Scorsese being one of his teachers. Oh, wow. And his classmates were Oliver Stone and Christopher Guest. Mm, I wonder if he did drugs with them. Uh, it's funny that uh, I don't think Billy Crystal, I think he's directed only like one thing. Like, he hasn't, I mean, they went to school for it, but he didn't, you know. Well, I know he did uh, Mr. Saturday Night, right? Yeah. I think he directed, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think he's directed a few things. Yeah. He started doing stand-up. Well, he's not like Oliver Stone, Christopher Guest level of direction, I guess is what I'm trying to say. He's not even Danny DeVito level of direction, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> he's not even the best director in this and room. Look, Danny DeVito's good. So Yeah, he is. Uh <laughs> Uh, he started doing stand-up and sketch comedy around New York and was actually scheduled to appear in the first episode of Saturday Night Live, but his sketch was cut. He was great. Look, I was a huge, huge fan of Billy Crystal in his ute. I loved his stand-up. His stand-up was hilarious and a lot of baseball stuff, um, even back then. Uh, well, yeah. I really loved him on Soap. And then, uh, you know, and he did appear a lot on Saturday Night Live. The first yeah. season. He was, yeah. was going to be a, a cast member, but he just... Some it did, didn't. Yeah, I, he would make an appearance in a later episode that season. Uh, he would make guest appearances on game shows like Hollywood Squares and the $20,000 Pyramid. Uh, he still, to this day, holds the record for the fastest bonus round win of the $20,000 Pyramid at 26 seconds. Because he talks real face. He does. Uh, his big break came when he was cast as Jody Dallas on Soap, uh, one of the first am- unambiguously gay characters in the cast of an American television series. Unambiguously gay character. <laughs> <laughs> he appeared in 73 episodes of its entire four-year run. Uh, in 1982, Billy Crystal hosted his own variety show, the Billy Crystal Comedy Hour on NBC. Oh, yeah. Uh, when Crystal arrived to shoot the fifth episode, he learned it had been canceled after only the first two aired. Where is everybody? <laughs> wah, wah. Where is yeah. everybody? What? Canceled? <laughs> <laughs> After hosting SNL twice on March 17th, 1984, and the show's ninth season finale on May 5th, he joined the regular cast for the 84-85 season. Yeah, he was great, too. His most famous recurring sketch was his parody of Fernando Lamas, a smarmy talk show host whose catchphrase, You look marvelous! Became a media sensation! And he was playing Fernando Lamas, who is the father of Lorenzo Lamas, who was in Greece. Yes. Uh, He would later release a comedy album and single with the same title. You look marvelous! Uh, Crystal's first film role was in Joan Rivers' 1978 film Rabbit Test, the story of the... World's first pregnant man! I remember this when this came out. It was bizarre. Everybody freaked out about it for whatever reason. I can imagine. I can imagine. And it was just like Joan Rivers, really? It was the only movie that she uh, directed. I, I like that was it. Oh, I, there yeah. was a reason. <laughs> Rabbit Test was also Michael Keaton's film debut. Yeah, but nobody knows. Nobody <laughs> seen it. I, it, it's, it seems like men getting pregnant comedies don't do terribly well. Well, it just was weird. It wasn't particularly funny, yeah. and it just—it was a bomb. Yeah, it well, was. I a mean. Big bomb. Neither was Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So oh, I, mean, I love Junior. I got the baby in my belly. Crystal appeared briefly in the Rob Reiner rockumentary This is Spinal Tap in 1984 as Morty the Mime. Yes. A waiter dressed as a mime at one of Spinal Tap's parties. He shared the scene with a then-unknown non-speaking Dana Carvey, stating famously that, Mime is money. <laughs> that's, that's it's great. Good. He later starred in the action comedy Running Scared in 1986, opposite Gregory Hines. Oh, love me some Gregory Hines. Love, love me some Running Scared. It's a great movie. Such because of the friendship. Yeah. Again, yeah. it was the friendship and partnership between these two guys. Uh, it was about a couple of cops who wanted to retire and open up a bar in the Caribbean or something. 
And I think they do it, and then they hate it, and they come back and be cops or something. <laughs> but they get caught up in this whole thing. But Gregory Hines was such a great, great actor. He was also a, yeah. a tap dancer. Yeah. Uh, an incredible dancer. 70s, 80s, man. Tap was king. Oh, yeah. You used to think when you were a kid and you wanted to be an actor or performer, you're like, I got to learn tap. Yeah. And, and mostly did. Like, everybody took yeah. tap lessons. Well, you put it on your, your resume because you never know when that tap part's going to come up. Nobody's tapping anymore. Yeah. Nobody does. They tapped that. out. It's very much not tapped. Yeah. <laughs> They're not tapping that. Uh, in 1987, in addition to appearing in Throw Mama from the Train, he was also in The Princess Bride in a supporting role with Carol Kane, directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah, fine star with the castle. Uh, Crystal has received numerous accolades, including six Primetime Emmy Awards for outstanding individual performance in a variety or music program for his hosting duties for the Grammys, the Oscars, and the outstanding writing for a variety series for writing his comedy special Midnight Train to Moscow in 1990. Say what you want about Billy Crystal. He was one of the absolute best hosts of the Oscars. Oh, yeah. He owned hosting the Oscars for several years, and he was great at it. And that's not yeah. an easy gig. No, no. I mean, obviously, because no. the last 15 years, it it's been a disaster. But that was back when people actually cared and yeah. watched, cared about and watched right. the Oscars. Right. He was great. He was a very good host. Crystal would win a Tony for his one-man Broadway show, 700 Sundays, in 2005. Wasn't that about going and watching baseball, baseball with his baseball. dad? Yeah. Ugh, everything was baseball with him. Baseball, baseball, baseball. This All is why I stopped liking him. Baseball. He was nominated for three Grammys for his comedy albums, but never won. And despite hosting the Academy Award show nine times over 22 years, he's never received any nominations for an Oscar. Why would he? I know. It's just, just saying, it's like, what it's has he been fun. in that's Oscar nominated? He'll eventually get the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. The booby prize? Yeah. The 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 Thalberg booby prize? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that I that I have gone on record saying that I yes, will refuse. refuse. When the Academy comes to me on their knees. come to you. And says, we're giving you the Irving J. Thalberg and Award. We're going to go, no. Award, a world yeah. award. I'm going to say, no, thank you. And be polite about it. Uh, <laughs> Crystal can most recently be seen in Here Today, a movie he starred in with Tiffany Haddish, but also co-wrote, directed, and produced. Yeah. That one's high on your list? Yeah. I love Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. I am not a fan of latter-day Billy Crystal. I'm sorry. I just, I'm That's just fine. not. That's fine. Uh, he can also be heard re- reprising his voice role of Mike Wazowski in the Disney show Monsters at Work. Anne Ramsey was cast as Mrs. Mama Lift. Evan! Uh, Ramsey is a direct descendant of William Brewster, who traveled to America via the Mayflower. Nice. In college, she became interested in theater and performed in several Broadway productions in the 1950s. Nice. She married actor Logan Ramsey in 1954. Yeah, in the 1970s, Ramsey began a successful Hollywood career in character roles and appeared in such tel- television programs as Little House on the Prairie, Wonder Woman, Three's Company, and Ironside. She appeared with her husband in seven films, including her first, The Sporting Club, in 1971, and her last, Meet the Hollowheads, in 1989, co-starring Juliette Lewis and John Glover. Yeah. Do you remember Meet the Hollowheads? I kind of do. <sighs> <laughs> Ramsey's somewhat slurred speech, a trademark of her later performances, was caused in part from having had some of her tongue and her jaw removed during surgery for esophageal cancer in 1984. Wow, makes me feel really good about my impersonation. This is something that people, like, I, I, obviously when she was in The Goonies, like, that was a much bigger movie than this. Yeah. And then made her, like, people was like, oh, so she got typecast as a surly old woman. I remember being young and people being like, yeah, they took out part of her tongue and everybody was like, no, they yeah, didn't. Yeah. It's just a choice. And it's like, no, it's it was a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, look, she was an extremely brave woman. I mean, yeah. and fought pain and worked really hard and was absolutely in on the joke, you know? Oh, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, she, she played it perfectly. She I knew mean, what she was playing. Yeah. She knew what she was hired for, and she delivered every single time. I want to see the pre-surgery stuff. Same. I need to find some things with her in it and just see. Because the only stuff I know her from is from post-surgery stuff. Well, so. I've got... Uh, Wonder Woman on DVD. No, do maybe we can, find maybe it. we'll take a little peek. We will. During filming of Throw Mama from the Train, she underwent additional oral surgery and endured intense pain throughout the entire production. Good Lord. However, according to director Danny DeVito, she never requested to be excused from work. She was very professional. Yeah, see, that's what he said. He actually forced her. <laughs> Look, Ramsey, <laughs> I don't care how much pain you're in. We got to get this shot. Mime is money. I mean, time is money. <laughs> in the scene in which Owen and Larry save Mama Lift from falling off the train, Anne Ramsey performed the stunt herself without the use of a stunt double. Okay, but, you know, Danny DeVito should have stepped in and said, like, hey, 
And we'll get you a stunt double. Maybe no. she said no. Maybe he just can understand what she was saying. Get me a stunt double. You don't want a stunt double? You wanted You wanted a double of whiskey? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, whatever. I'll do it. Okay. Idiots. Uh, she has a total of 10 minutes of screen time. God, and she minute. makes the most of that 10 minutes. Uh, during the scene where she slaps Danny DeVito, she actually really does slap him. Ouch. Uh, she was hesitant to do so, but DeVito insisted... Dorito's got a kick. He, he's an interesting man. He likes being slapped by old ladies. Uh, Mama went on to become Ramsey's most critically lauded performance, culminating with an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress in 1988. Well, good. I mean, it's a layered performance, too. Again, it, it is. her performance could have just been Battle Axe, but they yeah. a- added a, a lot of... She added a lot of vulnerability to she it. She did. She did. And a lot of... Because you, it's easy to hate her. Yes. You know, yes. and they make it very easy at the beginning by the way she treats Owen. She's so mean. Yeah, she's just mean. But we get the hints that she's just an unhappy person, and she's scared. I mean, the truth is she's scared I, to, to be left alone. She's scared yes. to be put in a home. She's scared to be away from Owen. That is why she was with them on the train when Owen decided he's like, well, i got to go with you and run to Mexico. The best, the I, for me, that scene where she's sitting there just cracking the peanuts, yeah. not saying anything, is the most... Uh, encapsulation of her character yes. because she just doesn't want to be left alone. Uh, she's, she's still, still looking scared. at him so suspiciously. Of course. And, uh, yeah. Sultry. <laughs> the night was sultry. Oh, by the way, let's just uh, uh, give credit where credit's due. The entire beginning of that movie is just an extended <laughs> Snoopy bit yes. from uh, Peanuts cartoons when Snoopy's always like, the night is... Yeah. The night was right. balmy. The night was... I mean, the whole movie is based off an Alfred Hitchcock plot. Yes. <laughs> it's Damn you. Like it's, you know. Well, now I'm thinking Stu Silver's a thief. <laughs> Unfortunately, Ramsey's cancer returned that year, and she passed on August 11th at the Motion Picture and Television Country House and Hospital in Woodland Hills, California. Uh, I, I, I think she knew it was coming, so she worked constantly the last few years of her life. Well, because that's what... She loved to do, and I mean, she looked rough in this. She did, you know, yeah. her whole body was just falling apart. Yeah, you know, I mean, and the fact that she was able to roll around on the ground and go upside down is yeah. just—I would have been if I was the director. Yeah, I would have been scared Sless. I would have yeah. been like, no, no, yeah, yeah. She did have three movies released posthumously: the aforementioned Meet the Hollowheads uh, and Another Chance, starring Bruce Greenwood and Vanessa Angel, and Homer and Eddie, starring Whoopi Goldberg and Jim Belushi. Okay. Yeah, it's not. I did from her the last like f- after nineteen eighty four. It seemed like she was just like I'm taking whatever I'm getting. Yeah, and, and she I'm wanted to work, it. and yeah. she did great work up until the day she died. Yeah, Kim Greist was cast as Beth Ryan, uh, the girlfriend, the very long suffering girlfriend. Kim Greist is the epitome of the eighties yes. woman. Yes, that pinched white lady with the poodle hair <laughs> and the. The clothes. I mean, everything yeah. about her is white 80s lady. Very waspy. She's yeah. the white. If there was a costume, <laughs> 80s white lady. Kim Greist. Kim Greist. Uh, she started her career as a model working in Europe before returning to the States and taking up theater acting. Nice. Her feature debut was in Chud in 1984. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Thank you. Saw it in the theater. Double feature. That and Jim Cotta. Jim oh, Cotta no, really? is the worst movie I've ever seen in the wow. movie theater, ever. Wow. Have you seen Jim Cotta? I have. It was another one of those that was on a lot in, in, uh, on Cinemax and Showtime. We're doing it. I mean, we've got to do it. We have we gotta to. We've got to do Chud, too. Because it's awful. But it is awful. I mean, even back then, I knew it was bad. But, but I just remember, like, 40 minutes of Jim Cotta. Because Jim Cotta, they, there was a, a gymnast whose name I forget. Yeah. He was very popular at the time. So they... Gave him a movie, and, yeah, and yeah. it was his martial arts was a cross between gymnastics and yeah. karate. I'm sorry, it was gymkata. Gymkata. And so there's this part where conveniently there's a log that's set up much like a pommel horse, and he swings on that thing and kicks maybe a oh, thousand yeah, dudes. Yeah, yeah. Just maybe a thousand. Spinning, spinning, spinning. Just spinning and yeah. kicking, and they keep coming. Maybe maybe we should wait till it gets off the pommel horse. <laughs> so All great. right. Well, we're definitely going to cover it. So, <laughs> oh my uh, God, Jim Cotta. Uh, Greased also made an appearance in Brazil in 1985, directed by Terry Gilliam. Great movie. Uh, fantastic movie. 
And in Manhunter in 1986, directed by Michael Mann, the very first Hannibal Lecter movie. And quite possibly the best. I absolutely adore that movie. It's, it's a toss-up between that and Silence of the Lambs. But yeah, definitely. But, but definitely Manhunter is up there. But Manhunter is yeah. the 80s version, baby. Yeah, I know. And you got William Peterson yeah. playing the, the, the title role. And you got Brian Cox. Brian as Hannibal Cox. Lecter, he, he was, was so, so good, good yeah. as Hannibal Lecter. Ah, oh, such a great movie. And Michael Mann directed it. One yeah. of his, one of his yeah. first. Yeah, uh, she made a few more movies in the late '80s and throughout the '90s, while also making guest appearances on TV. Most notably, notably being in the two Homeward Bound movies in the '90s. Of course. Yeah, she was up for the role of Alex in Fatal Attraction before it went to Glenn Close. Weird. Uh, she looked oh, like so much like her. Yeah, uh, definitely. Listen to our Fatal Attraction episode of how Glenn Close. Forced her way into that movie. <laughs> I won't be ignored, directors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 2001, after a guest spot on Judging Amy, she decided to retire from acting. Wow, must have been a horrible experience. I <laughs> Judging Amy was a not good show. It was all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she currently resides in Stanford, Connecticut, living a quiet private life. Stanford's beautiful. Have you ever been to Stanford, no, Connecticut? I've never been Oof, to Connecticut. Richie Riches, man. Yeah. I had a I've friend. Been- I think I've been through Connecticut. Anyway, sorry. I, I spent Thanksgiving there. I had a friend whose family bought a place oh, in Stamford. Yeah. I've definitely been through Connecticut. Yeah. And, uh, Stamford, Connecticut. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, walking through there is like walking through, you know, some Hollywood movie. With right. Like it's like they designed this whole place as a set and you're yes. like, what is going on? It's like, oh, if you really wanted to know what the neighborhood in uh, Home Alone looked like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kate Mulgrew was cast as Margaret Donner, his wife slash ex-wife, uh, Billy Crystal's wife slash ex-wife. So good in this. Uh, she's so great. Uh, she gained fame for playing Mary Ryan in the soap opera Ryan's Hope for three years of its 13-year run from 1975 to 1978. All right. Uh, she was Mrs. Columbo in the show of the same name in 1979, but it only ran for one season. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, Mrs. Columbo here. Um, just one more thing. Uh what do you mean? I sound like my husband. That's, I, that's that's what, I, I think part of the problem was that Columbo was not anywhere near the movie <laughs> yeah. or the show. So there were people were like, well, where's your husband? Uh, on vacation? Yeah. Well, he's he, Park in the they, car. All they had to say was in one Columbo movie or episode to say, yeah, my wife's working on a different case. And then it would just open it right up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in 1985, she co-starred in Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins with Fred Ward. Oh, such a good movie. Such a great movie. I need to see that again uh, soon. Mulgrew had a hard time keeping a straight face on set as she found both Billy Crystal and Dan- Danny DeVito to be extremely funny. Good thing she didn't have very many scenes with either of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best was the scene where she's on the boat, getting on the boat. Yeah. And literally Danny DeVito is six inches behind her following the whole time. It's just like... How, way to make it obvious, buddy. Yeah, well, I like, mean, he was a weird, creepy, creepazoid. Well, he wasn't the stealthiest guy. <laughs> no, he was not. Bad. Uh, Mulgrew is perhaps best known for playing Captain Catherine Janeway on Star Trek Voyager, appearing in 170 of the 172 episodes over seven seasons. Oh, she was great. Uh, more recently, she was a main character in Orange is the New Black, appearing in 85 episodes. So good. I've, so I've never, I still so have never good. watched that. It's a great show, but she plays, I think, Russian? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It's mafia? like Eastern European. Yeah, but yeah. she's like the, like the person the, in charge, at least for the first couple of seasons. She's like the yeah. person. Red, I think, is her character. Red, yeah. Her character's Red. And yeah. everybody's afraid of Red, and rightly so. She is so good in this. She's all, I've always been a huge fan of hers. Uh, Mulgrew also voiced the character of Flemeth in the three Bioware Dragon Age video games. She did, damn well she did. I had no idea. I'm very excited about playing those. Uh, she most recently can be heard voicing Catherine Janeway in the animated show Star Trek Prodigy, the 10th Star Trek series airing on Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon. Nice. Yeah. Branford Marsalis was cast as Lester. <laughs> That's me doing jazz. <laughs> Not a robot? It's, 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 kind it's of a jazz inter- robot. It's a jazz. I was like, it's kind of intermixing with the robot noises. Yeah. Well, I invented a jazz robot. Jazz robot, yeah. Marsalis is a jazz musician coming from a large jazz family. He is the son of Dolores, a jazz singer and substitute teacher, Yay. and Ellis Lewis Marsalis Jr., a pianist and music professor. Yeah. His brothers, Jason Winton and Delfieo, are also jazz musicians. Wynton Marcellus owned the contemporary jazz scene yeah. of like the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And his brother was great too, but everybody knew Wynton. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. In 1985, uh, Branford joined Sting, singer and bassist of rock band The Police, on his first solo project, The Dream of the Blue Turtles. That's such a pretentious, stupid name. <laughs> I love Sting, but Sting? F you, Sting. Sting being pretentious? Sting is the only guy that is charming 
and funny enough to get <laughs> to, away with yes, all the horribly yes. pretentious crap that yes. you hear about him. I have tantric sex, Jim. It's 14 hours long. It's uncanny how much you sound like Stanley. I know. It's a, it, seriously, that was actually a recording. His yeah. accent was just staged the entire on, time. On, on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know the real Sting. What is it? his name? Is like Simon Thumpter? Gordon Sumner? Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Sumner? 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 Gordon Sumner. Yeah. Yeah. You're not so cool now, Gordon Sumner. <laughs> Branford Marcellus would play on every Sting album until 1999. There was a documentary about the forming of Sting's band called Bring on the Night that featured Marcellus. It's a good doc, actually. Uh, oh, really? I've yeah. never seen it. I used to be a huge Sting fan, so oh, yeah. yeah. Apparently, his natural presence in the documentary and ability to make the band laugh led him to try acting. Try. She tried it. He, he actually got better as the movie went on. He did get yeah. better as the movie went along. Uh, shortly after Throw Mama from the Train came out, Marsalis was cast in Spike Lee's School Days. Uh, he also contributed some music to the film. Okay. Uh, in 1992, Marsalis became the leader of the Tonight Show band on the newly launched The Tonight Show with Jay Leno after Jay Leno replaced Johnny Carson. Yeah. Marsalis didn't do much acting, appearing in the second season of Living Single in 1995, the Showtime TV movie Mr. and Mrs. Loving in 1986 which he also composed the soundtrack for, and in Eve's Bayou in 1997. Mr. and Mrs. Loving was about the first interracial... Oh, was it? Uh, ...couple that... The yeah. Lovings, who basically... Yeah, there was another movie that just came out a couple years ago. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they if it weren't for them... Oh, yeah. You wouldn't be able to have... That's sick in the Interracial 60s, marriage. Man. Yeah, yeah. It's just so... Yep. Mind-boggling to me sometimes. <laughs> Marcellus would release 33 albums where he is the band leader and has appeared on over 120 albums for musicians such as... Harry Connick Jr., Bella Fleck, Dizzy Gillespie, The Grateful... Ugh, dead. James Taylor, Stevie Wonder, The Allman Brothers, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but not young, Carol King and Miles Davis. Well, yeah, they kicked Young out because he was an asshole. Yes. Um, you don't like the touch of gray, Jim? You know, I've explained this before. I was a deadhead for many years. I'm a recovered deadhead. And if I hear like three notes from that hillbilly band, it makes me want to throw up. (laughs) I was never a fan of the Grateful Dead. I never got it. Same like with fish. It was like, hey, let's noodle around for 45 minutes. You probably didn't have a period. uh, Well, I guess... You, your hallucinogenics period happened after the Grateful Dead. I was in my thirties. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, it was it was definitely long after I realized how much I did not like the Grateful Dead. If marijuana and hallucinogenics did not exist, there would be no Grateful Dead. You know, honestly, I think part of the reason was because they released the Touch of Grey, which is the only song. Oh, we know there's something about a train. But they're, they're driving the yes, train. But they, Touch of Grey was like had a music video and stuff, and I was just old enough to be like, "Oh, this is pretty good." And then I tried to listen to others, and it was nothing like that. I will uh, get by. That's my. I wish we had a video right now. That was fantastic. <laughs> just, and it's so funny how much I really adored them, yeah. and I could not. Cannot even fathom listening to a note. Uh, Rob Reiner was cast as Joel, Larry's agent. Uh, Reiner first came to national prominence with the role of Michael Meathead Stivick on the CBS sitcom All in the Family. Meathead. Which he was on for eight years, a performance that earned him two primetime Emmy Awards. The way Carol O'Connor could just milk the word meathead was just delicious. Yeah. Uh, Reiner made his acting debut in 1984 with This Is Spinal Tap. As a director. Yeah, he made his directing debut in 1984. Oh, he was in there. Didn't he play the director in... <laughs> oh, did he play the director? Yeah. Oh, no, I think he did, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood what you meant. I <laughs> <laughs> was like, no, no, really. Uh, he has since directed 19 movies. Reiner can most recently be heard as narrator in the 2022 movie Family Squares, starring... Zoe Chow, Nate Cordry, Anne Dowd, Elsie Fisher, Judy Greer, McLaren Lang, Scott MacArthur, Billy Magnuson... Margot Martindale, I love her. Jessica Mysel, Sam Richardson, also great. Timothy Simmons, June Squibb, who's also amazing. Casey Wilson, and Henry Wingler, America's Treasure. Uh, yeah, it was written and directed by, I think her name's Angie Lang. Uh, have you heard of this movie? No. Yeah, it, weird. it's on uh, Hulu, or Peacock. It's on Peacock. Never heard of it. I think it was mostly shot during the pandemic, because most of it is like Zoom stuff. Oh, okay. But there's definitely scenes where there's char- actors together. Great cast. The trailer? Watch the trailer. I was surprised by how much I wanted to watch it. <laughs> All right. Ugh, I used to hate him, because he was so anti-smoking, and oh, yeah. he was yeah. really the reason why there's no smoking in bars, and no sm- yeah. his, his campaign. Yeah. And oh, man, when I used to smoke, he was the bane of smokers. But yeah. now... 
I kind of see his point. Uh, I used to, when I worked for that film sales agency, uh, we were on top of uh, Boa, the steakhouse, mm-hmm. and he would come in there all the time. Like, I would walk by and see him eating at, like, 5.30 or 6 o'clock when I was leaving the office. Smoking cigarettes. Yeah, he was constantly, scandal. like, just, like, he had the whole, like, it was, like, 40 at a time. <laughs> More cigarettes for me. That was his motto. <laughs> anyway, check out Family Squares. It's on Peacock. Uh, check it out. I'm curious to see. You just watch the trailer. It's interesting. It's not going to be great. Uh, June Squibb plays a, a mother who's dying. Yeah. Like, grandmother, a great-grandmother's dying, and then all these secrets come out. And, oh, that sounds interesting. But she, she has some funny lines already, and Scott Rich- Sam Richardson's amazing in it. Um, R- Rob Reiner is a great director. Yeah. Uh, Stand By Me. Yeah. Spinal Tap. Yeah. Amazing movies. Sure. So, did he do Princess Bride? Yes. Yeah, looks. Yeah, that's just why it's weird that he was in this at all. Yeah. Which, granted, it was a one scene, but, like, he was super busy. <laughs> he was also really good friends with Billy Crystal. He was. He they was. were really good friends. They were back close, in, Even yeah. back, like, when he was doing soap and he was doing All in the Family. Yeah. I think that they were pals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bruce Kirby was cast as Detective DiBenedetto. Uh, I just want to first point out that DeBenedetto was the name of my sister-in-law, her maiden name. DeBenedetto? DeBenedetto. That's yeah. such a neat name. It's uh, actually, um, Tony Bennett is technically a DeBenedetto. So it's Italian. Uh, yeah. DeBenedetto. Oh, Sicilian. Very oh, Sicilian. Sicilian. DeBenedetto. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting that they used that for the name. But it's, it's, it's Tony Bennett's original name before he anglicized it. Tony Benedetto. Yeah. Uh, but Bruce Kirby, a longtime character actor, started his television career in the 1950s with appearances in Goodyear Television Playhouse. Oh, yeah. Remember that smash hit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> During the 1960s, he appeared in... I Dream of Genie, The Nurses, The Defenders, Car 54, Where Are You? Hogan's Heroes of the Patty Duke Show. In the 70s, he appeared in... Bonanza, Ironside, Barney Miller, The Rockford Files, The Marcus, Nelson Murders, Kojak, Mash, Alice, and Columbo. I didn't know Bonanza was in the 70s, too. Weird. It went through to, like, 73. That was a long show. It went from, like, 58 to, like, 73. Well, in fact, even longer than that, because I remember when The Simpsons, like, outran... It was, like, the longest-running primetime show. Like, because I want to say, I think Bonanza was, like, 18 years or something. Maybe. It was crazy. Is that Lorne Green? Yeah. Was, it was a long time. Yes. It ran all the way through the 60s. It was a long time. In the 1980s, he appeared in... Remington Steel, Hunter, Night Court, Matlock, Hill Street Blues, Lou Grant, and Punky Brewster. His 1990s television credits include... The Golden Girls, L.A. Law, In the Heat of the Night, Murphy Brown, Murder, She Wrote, and Chicago Hope. And during the 2000s, he appeared in... The Sopranos, The Agency, Scrubs, and The West Wing. His feature film debut was in Catch-22 in 1970, based on the Joseph Heller novel. Great movie. Great movie. I've tried reading that novel so many times. Oh, it's a good novel. It's a I toughie, know, though. I know. It's just, I, I've never been at the right time to read it, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Watch the movie. Alan Arkin stars yes. in the movie. Yeah. It's a really great satire, and give it a shot. Okay. He is the father of Bruno Kirby, uh, also a character actor, who appeared in City Slickers with Billy Crystal, and this is Spinal Tap, amongst a ton of other movies. Such a serious young man. Such a serious, serious man. Yeah, he seemed to always, yeah, yeah. His characters, at least, were very serious. Yeah. Whether it was... Uh, when Harry met Sally, he was very serious yeah. about his yeah. friendship. And Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. He was very serious about running a radio station. Very serious about it. At City Slickers, he was... Very, very serious yeah. about being on roping doggies. Horses. Yeah. Doggies. Yeah, doggies. <laughs> Doggy roping. He was very serious about it, Adam. Uh, his father, uh, Bruce, actually outlived him with Bruno dying in 2006 at the age of 57 from complications with leukemia. That was such a shock. That I had, such I, a that shock. That makes me so sad. Yeah, uh, he was... I'm, I'm teasing him, but he was a great actor. He was... He was he should have had the career that his father had. Yeah. Like, he could have gone another four decades. Really good character actor. Yeah. Bruce's final film appearance was in 2008 in the dismal low-budget crime thr- thriller 222 before retiring. Do you remember 222? No. Uh, yeah, 2008. I remember it's one of those that, Yes, like, yes. Yeah. I do remember it because I think somebody's wiener gets cut off. Oh. Because it's all these different stories that come together. Oh. And this one guy's, like, waggling his wiener out of, out of a... a Oh, out of a van. Oh, and something happens, and the old ween gets chopped, and then then part of it is them trying to find the ween. Okay, if that's what I I do remember, that may or may not be two twenty two. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, Bruce passed away in January of twenty twenty one at the age of ninety five. Oh, well, that's a good run, and that's a lot of years to live without. Oh my your god, kid. he had. I mean, he was he had like a fifty sixty year career. Amazing, and yeah, and that sucks to have to another fifteen years living past your kid. That's- uh, just a quick few other people I want to point out: uh, Olivia Brown, who plays uh, Lester's 
one night stand, I guess. Uh, she was uh, oh, yeah. in 48 Hours. She was the love interest in 48 Hours. The love interest for Eddie Murphy. Yes. The one that he ends up with at the end. Yeah. Uh, Peter Brocco, who plays, he's a character actor who's been a million things. He was the <laughs> one of the best scenes in the movie when Billy Crystal's at the end. And he's just annoying his his hospital partner. And he finally <laughs> just gets up and is like, I can't do, I this, can't anymore. do this anymore. <laughs> if you don't stop talking about her. <laughs> I'm leaving you. Yeah, it was so great. It was, it was great. Really great. I also think that Olivia Brown was on Miami Vice as one of yes. the uh, female cops. She was. She was. Yes. Uh, and great I, show, by the way. I want to point out. Yes, look at our Miami Vice episode. Listen to our Miami yeah, Vice episode. Yeah, T. I got him. Uh, and last, I want to point out Ray Burke, uh, who plays Pinsky, <sighs> who has the best. <laughs> coffee table book oh ever God. and the best easter egg in the movie too yes by the way. yes so throughout the so billy crystal runs a class yes at actually at la valley college which is about five minutes from it here it seems like it's very much a community college class it is with the caliber is. of talent everyone's in their 40s <laughs> learning how to write yeah well, very a lot of uh undeserved confidence in that class yes, uh, yes. but uh pinsky his whole thing is he his book is just listing women that he wants to ha- have sex with. Have sex with. Yes. Uh, a, a spank book, as I think one uh, of them essentially, calls it. Essentially, yes. And, it, and he's like, oh, there'll be pictures and drawings. <laughs> that doesn't make it uh, better. Yeah, it's super creepy. And then at the very end of the movie, when Billy Crystal's finishing up his book, they do kind of a pan across his desk where there's his cigars and all this stuff. And then you see Pinsky's book made. It's and just he did make literally it. just Pinsky. It's Pinsky. And it's, it's him in a t- white tux with a leg. It was great. <laughs> with, it's a coffee table book. Yeah. I, I can't wait to uh, get it. Ray Burke is fantastic. He was, you might remember him from being the other mailman on Cheers. Yeah. He was the guy that always fought with Cliff. Uh, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, but but his commitment to this character, and Grant, I understand the character was very one note. Yes. But, oh, my God, it is the funniest thing in the movie that he never breaks. No. He just is like, yes, this is the, this is the greatest thing in the world. Ray Burke is one of those, again, journeyman, character, yes. comedian actors that just every time he showed up, he stole the scene. Yeah. He absolutely yeah. stole the scene. Yes. And he stole every scene he was in in this. And it was so great. And, and kudos to... Uh, Kudos to Danny DeVito yeah. for slipping in the book at the end. I mean, I don't know if that was so a Stu Silver or uh, him. No, but was... I, I'm sure it was DeVito. I'm sure it was DeVito. But just a great payoff. For a time during filming, Danny DeVito was ill with flu-like symptoms, uh, balancing his heavy acting and directing responsibilities and not taking time off. He said two things helped him get through those difficult days, cigarettes and chocolate. Yeah, it's the name of his autobiography. <laughs> cigarettes and chocolate. <laughs> uh, the frying pan that Owen smacks Larry with was made of rubber. Uh, if you watch closely, you can actually see it wobble. Weird it made it sound like that. Yeah. There's a thing called Foley. What? I know. Uh, the best part, though, is that Dan DeVito reshot the scene 12 times. <laughs> really? <laughs> he probably was pissed at it. Because it's not just him hitting him with the rubber yeah. spat. The, 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 he had to jump out of the chair. Yeah. So he did that 12 times. <laughs> Such a funny scene. Yeah. You lied to me! Yeah. <laughs> Danny DeVito <laughs> travels in a sunset cab, a nod to the Sunshine Cab Company he worked for in the television series Taxi. Do-do-do! It's another one I started watching. I need to. I need to watch more of it. Great. Uh, the movie was almost given an R rating by the MPAA for having four uses of the F word. Mm. To avoid this, Dan DeVito reduced it to only one and was issued a higher selling PG thirteen rating. Yep, didn't help. It's most. It's most obvious when Larry reads the book title. One hundred girls. I'd like to pork. The word pork is very clearly dubbed as Jim turned and said, did he say fork? <laughs> I thought he said fork. <laughs> it was such a bad dub. I don't know who did the ADR for this, but it was terrible. No. There was at least two other times where I was like, yeah, it was not good. And it's like, I'd like to flock. You use an F word. You don't, come on, man. This is day one stuff. We learned this in film school. Director Brian De Palma was originally going to appear in a cameo in this film, but couldn't make room in his schedule to film the scene he was supposed to appear in. Uh, De Palma is known for referencing Hitchcock films in many, 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 many of his works. Referencing is a sweet way of saying ripping off. He would fit very well into Throw Mama from the Trains. Mama's house contains a few framed bird pictures, most likely reference to Hitchcock's The Birds and Psycho, which framed birds are seen on Norman Bates' wall. He liked birds. The title comes from the Patty Page song Throw Mama from the train uh going a kiss kiss wave mama from the train a goodbye uh it's written in pennsylvania deutsch dialect which is essentially english with german syntax so throw mama from the train a kiss means throw mama a kiss from the train meaning you're leaving 
because she's still there. Das ist gut, ja. Throw Mama from yeah. the train. Uh, Irving Gordon, writer of the song Mama from the Train, sued Orion Pictures, and it was awarded $100,000. <laughs> it's uncertain whether a change in the spelling of Mama to Mama was related. All right. Uh, the movie was a modest hit, made $57.9 million from a $14 million budget. Yeah, it was funny, and it came out at the right time. Yeah. It know. was one of those, like, I don't think they, the executives thought it would, like, burn the barn down or anything, but, it's, but, it, but it made money. During this time, these types of comedies were extremely reliable. Yes. You threw, you made a comedy with a couple of well-known p- folks. You put some sort of, you know, uh, gimmick on it or yeah. whatever. Yeah, And yeah. it'll make its money back. And then some comedies were extremely popular. Yeah. And they, and they, comedies like horror movies were cheap to make. Right, and, right. Uh, and they were a pretty good bet, especially if you got, you know, guys of this caliber in it. Yeah, yeah. Roger, uh, reviews were mixed. Roger Ebert gave the film two stars out of four, stating that... The plot... And throw Mama from the train is top heavy, but the movie doesn't make as much as it could from its weird characters. Uh, I don't disagree with him on that. No. Um, it was, I mean, it, it was, it was nice. It definitely could have used a couple of rewrites. <laughs> You're absolutely right about that because I think the whole relationship and friendship isn't super organic. It doesn't seem that. You know, the way it all comes together. Yeah. It's just, well, it just seems a little... He's being... DeVito's being super... Owen's oh, being super creepy. Yeah. Like, he literally was watching them about to have sex on a train. Yes. On a toy train yes. with kids. And he starts crunching his chips. And then he calls him at 2.30 in the morning. And then that's when Larry finally decides, okay, I'm just going to deal with this guy. Yeah. And then, and then their friendship blossoms. And it just... You're right. It could have been a little more organic. Well, they didn't have more. to make Danny DeVito so... Eccentric, creepy. yeah, and creepy. I get the creepy because it's you know the Hitchcock thing, and you got to make it. Yeah, they have to make yeah. it believe that that he killed the the the, the wife. wife. You have yeah, to yeah. suspend disbelief, which none of us ever did. But it, but the plot itself it makes you believe that. Sure. I mean, you know that his mom is super overbearing. Yeah, you know he wants her dead, so he's willing to go to anything sure. to make it happen. He didn't have to be a weirdo. Although like, I will have to say, him when he. When he's actually about to push her on the ferry, and, and when she bends over, <laughs> and instead of pushing her back, he's going to push her butt, and the way he adjusts his hands was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. those little things yes. that make Danny DeVito yes. a genius. This is when he's going bowling, and yeah. he sees the 10 pins turn into his mom, and and he's bowling. Like, that kind of stuff is what makes Danny DeVito brilliant. Great. And, and Billy Crystal is a great reactor. He's a really great comedic actor. And they really did have a good chemistry. Yeah. Their chemistry their chemistry let this rise above more yeah. than it should. With, with anybody else, it would have been a much more mediocre movie. But yes. with yes. the talent that it had in it, these guys are watchable, they're funny, and Anne Ramsey is hilarious. And it's just, you know, the, the talent rises above the material, I think, in this one. It does. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote, Mr. Crystal and Mr. DeVito make one of the oddest pairs imaginable. But have a rapport. That's a delight. Janet Maslin liking something. It's weird. Oh, she must, somebody must have, uh, maybe she got a little something that <laughs> night. And Variety understood the point of the movie, saying in their review, Very clever and engaging from beginning to end. The movie builds on the notion that nearly everyone, at least once in life, has the desire to snuff out a relative or nemesis, even if 99.9% of us let the urge pass without ever acting on it. Yeah, it's a fantasy movie. I mean, that's the whole point, is that it's... it's Yes, it's a, it's a wish fulfillment. Yeah. Look, let's be honest. 18, 20, maybe 30 times a day, you think about killing me. That's, that's a low, conservative. That's a low number? Yeah, yeah. you're being yeah. conservative, but you, don't, you haven't done it yet. No, not yet. I don't like the crisscross talk you're having with Phoebe, though. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> yes, we'll have the other person that lives in the apartment kill you. They'll yeah. never suspect me. I'm saying it's not a smart idea. I'm just saying. I am saying is that uh, I've started t- teaching writing classes at L.A. Valley College. Nice. And uh, there's a very short man there that I've been talking to. That's all I got for it. But I didn't, this is, this is it, it's one of those movies that, like, it's a total nostalgia trip. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. You know, it's like I remember the time. When I saw that movie, and it was a, it, it, in my life, it was a much simpler time and a, yeah, and a yeah. time of of uh, you know just hanging out with your buddies and going to movies and what was it, 87? Yeah. 87, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like 
I just started college, I think, when that movie yeah, came out. Yeah. And, and uh, I was alone and scared in Boston, and I needed to see some of my old friends. And my old friends, Billy Crystal and Danny yeah. DeVito, showed up to give me a tickle. I tickle in my funny bone. I, much like Owen, I didn't have a lot of friends. I mean, I think it's a lot of the reason that he was super creepy, but I didn't have a lot of friends when I was growing up. So, like, I totally identified with that aspect of him. My mother was not overbearing in any way. I found him more charming than creepy in this watch. Yes. The only time I was, it was totally creepy was when he was literally sitting in the train watching yes. them. And, it's and like, putting on the okay. gloves and getting ready to kill. Well, yes. You know. And well, I mean, but that was him fulfilling his con- part of his contract. But, sure. You know. But, uh, but still, if you haven't seen the movie, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. And if you're a Hitchcock fan, if you're a Billy Crystal fan, or a Danny DeVito fan, or a Kim Greist, yeah. then get yourself a little, go on HBO Max and watch. It's on Max, yeah. Uh, you know, look at Bruce, Bruce Kirby, how much he looks like his son. Yeah. We didn't even talk about the weird barking gardener. Yes. That, okay. So... <laughs> So his ex-wife when goes to Hawaii, yeah. and I don't know where he gets the money or what he does with his mom, but Danny DeVito goes to Hawaii as well. <laughs> on under, a, an important plot point. Also, on a ticket under another person's name. I yeah. guess he didn't have to show ID back then, maybe? No, 87, I don't know. I, don't know. Uh, I think you did. I'm pretty I'm sure you did. positive. But, uh, but yeah, so Kate Mulgrew is effing the gardener or whatever. And the whole time he barks, but not like it, it, it's like a yeah, yeah. It's just weird. And then it's she's on the phone, and instead of getting him to stop barking, she's just like, "I'm watching TV." That's the TV. It's old Yeller. <laughs> just, but such just weird, weird things. You know, those were things that you know you're on set and somebody's like, "Hey." Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if my character barked during sex? And DeVito's like, yeah, shit, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't feel good. I got I to gotta focus on my scene where I'm sitting behind you in the, yeah. in the couch. Reading us. It's just a fun, quick movie. Again, a good yeah. double feature with maybe foul play. Yeah. Or even, you know, uh, Swing Married and Axe Murder or High Anxiety. It's yeah. just, it's a good pairing. There's so many great Hitchcock comedies out there. And... This may not be the best one, but it's definitely worth a look. It's fun. It's totally fun. Yeah. We'll be back next week with So I Married an Axe Murderer. Hid. Pounce. No. <laughs> Isn't it Wachowski? Wazowski. No, it's Wazowski. Really? Mm-hmm. See, I don't know anything about monsters. Monsters. <laughs> monsters. I don't know anything about monsters. I don't know nothing about no monsters. Uh, oh, God. What's his name? Pink, pink, pen, pen, Penzi? Or Pinky? Or Pinsky. Pinsky. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Saturday Night Live, already in progress. <laughs>